You are listening to Your Daily Drive. Thank you so much for joining me, Rick Thomas, for this podcast. You can find me in my cyber home, rickthomas.net, if you want to talk, get your username and password, and ask your question, and that is what we do. We are an interactive ministry who serves people globally, and it would be our privilege to serve you with whatever question you may have pertaining to life and godliness. In this podcast, I want to talk about this idea of caring too much or over caring for people. This is a common Christian problem because Christians love people. Christians pull for people. They want people to do well, to do better, to overcome their problems, to have a wonderful life. And sometimes we can cross the line, especially when people do not change according to our hopes and our expectations. Loving people is the biblical thing to do. In fact, I assume that you do love people, that you love all people. There would be something wrong with you or me if if we didn't love people. And so I don't want to talk about this idea of underloving, but I do want to talk about this idea of overloving or overcaring for people. And if you overcare for someone, then something is not right. And if you continue to overcare, you can damage the relationship while hindering what God can do in their lives. Well, I want to walk through that because I know that there are people in your lives that you care so much for that you can tend to be pushy and even frustrated when they don't change according to your timetable. You have family members. Maybe you have a spouse You may have children. We have children who write in sometimes about their parents that they would love to have their uh, have their parents to uh, to get right with God, and they want to know how to go about that. And sometimes they get frustrated because their parents aren't changing. But whatever the relational dynamic is, you want to make sure that you guard your heart, but you want to maintain yourself between the two ditches. One ditch is apathy, not caring for the person, not doing anything to help them to grow, to mature, to change in Christ. And then the other ditch, which is what I'm talking about in this podcast, is caring too much, being over-concerned, over-responsible. If you want to read this podcast, you're welcome to do it. Go to the website, the title of the podcast, the article as well, The Problem with Caring Too Much or over Caring, and you can read this 2,000 word article, and I trust it will benefit you. I would encourage you to take it to your small group or whomever you meet with, and you talk about it. You have a, a long discussion about the details of this article and this podcast, and then make some plans to change if you need to change. I want to begin by giving you a couple illustrations to illustrate the point that I'm trying to make of overcaring. I remember one time when I was walking downtown Main Street in our town in South Carolina, and I met a beggar coming my way. And when I saw him coming, my mind hit the momentary pause button, and it was no longer important to what I was going to do, but I wanted to re-index my mind, and I ran a few thoughts through Uh, my head as to how I should respond to this man. And as he came closer to me, 
He did what I thought he was going to do. He popped the question. Mister, can you spare a dollar or two? I haven't had anything to eat since yesterday, the beggar man said to me, and I told him that it would be a privilege to help him. And with a quick glance to my right, I pointed to the local subway sandwich shop, the restaurant that was right there in front of both of us. And I told him that I'd love to buy him a sandwich. Now, he said that he didn't want my offer, but he preferred that I give him a couple dollars to help him out. Now, that's not something that I was willing to do, and so I declined to give him cash, and I attempted to explain my reasoning to him carefully. He was disinterested in my perspective, but continued to ask for the money. I let him know that I could not help him the way that he wanted me to help him, but I would love to serve him. He declined again, and I continued on, and he continued on to his next prospect. Within a few minutes of that encounter, he became a fading event in my past. He was just one of a million things that I have done in my life and that I could hardly remember anymore. He faded into the background. I was not perturbed. I was not bothered. I was not upset. I was not annoyed with the fact that he was working me. Working me is a term you would understand as manipulating me. I knew what he was doing. He was manipulating me. It was just one of those events that happened to all of us during our day. At any time during our day, it was a quick opportunity for me to discern the Spirit and ask the question, what would the Savior do in a moment like this? You deal with it the way you believe God would want you to deal with it, and you move on to the next thing that the Lord has prepared for you during your day. Now, it is important, as I talk about those two ditches of apathy and overcaring. I was not apathetic toward him. I did not dismiss this man, and I did not show a lack of care for him. It could be analogous to the rich young ruler who wanted something from the Savior. Jesus encountered him in Luke 18, and and the young man wanted something from him, and of course Christ wanted to serve him. Christ was not apathetic as well. He believed it would be wise to give the rich young ruler what he he believed it would not be wise to give the rich young ruler what he wanted, the way that he wanted it. The text is Luke 18, 22 and 23. It goes like this. When Jesus heard this, heard what the rich young man said to him. Christ said, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the rich young man heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. The rich young ruler did not want what Jesus was offering, he had other ideas. I'm not sure if this young man ever became a Christian. Minimally, he became a Bible illustration regarding salvation, and he's an illustration in this podcast. But I don't think that I was unkind to the beggar that approached me on on the street. The man asked me for money, for food. I offered him food instead. He decided that he did not want the food. He wanted the money. I believed I did what I was supposed to do, and I went on my way. 
that day. I cared for him, but I did not overcare. And Jesus did the same thing to the rich young ruler. He cared for him, but he did not overcare. And then there are others that come to us who, who want things, and we can cross that line. We can overcare for them. Let me give you my second illustration. You have the beggar man, and now we have Biff my friend for many years. We went to high school together and separated shortly after that as marriage, family, and work took us to different places around the country. Years later, years later we reconnected. During the intervening years, Biff's life went from good to bad. His wife was about to leave him, his children did not love God, and Biff had immersed himself in the worldly cares of this life. He wanted to meet with me to work through some of these problems. I cared for him. I wanted to meet with him, and so we did. And then again, and again, on and on, we met for nearly six months. During this time, Biff proved to be stubborn and disinterested in the kind of change that was necessary to bring reconciliation to his family. He said he wanted change, like the beggar man, who said he wanted money to buy food, but Biff was not willing to do what it took to change. I prayed for him. I pondered many hours about how to help this man change. I would present things one way and talk about things another way, and it did seem to matter which angle I took. Nothing worked for Biff. And not being deterred, I would redouble my efforts and start all over again. An entirely new approach. This newfangled approach did not work either. Over time, I started becoming critical of Biff. Initially, I never said anything, but I sensed my heart growing frustrated with him. After a while, I began to go home and tell my wife about how difficult he was, about how rough and challenging the counseling was going. As the weeks went by and my investment in his life continued, I began to grow impatient with him. Now that is key. Uh, the beggar on the street was just a momentary piece of a period of time. It was just a few seconds that I interacted with him. But the longer that you spend with someone and the longer that they hold out from changing, the more tempted you're going to become to be frustrated. Or in this case, as I said, I was with Biff. You're going to become impatient with them. Short interludes do not usually stir that kind of sin from the heart. But long-time care for a person is unchanging can really be a serious temptation. And it wasn't long before I came harsh and unkind toward Biff. It was no longer under my breath. It was no longer hidden. Sadly, I had a growing disinterest in helping him. Now I'm going to the other side of the road. I've gone from over-caring to not caring at all. He was not listening, and I was over-caring. My investment was extensive, but the change was not happening according to my expectations. Have you ever over-cared for someone? If you are a Christian with the love of God in your heart, I suspect that you have. Have you ever over-worried? Have you ever been over-anxious with a person that you are hoping against hope that they will change? Maybe I can ask the questions this way. 
do you generally feel responsible for some individuals? Not every individual, not everybody that cross, crosses your path. I'm sure that if you met the beggar man, as I did on Main Street, you probably would not feel responsible for him. But are there other people, the ones that you are really hoping will change, those who are closer to you? My second question is, or can you guard your heart against being responsible but still show concern? There's a difference between being concerned for someone and being responsible for them. You should always be concerned. I hope you have concern for a lot of people, but you should not feel responsible for any of them. Question three, do you know the difference between being responsible and being concerned? Are you able to unpack that, how it works out in your own heart? Think about those relationships that are closest to you. You have concern for them. You want them to change. But do you feel responsible? Do you think you are responsible for that change? It is one thing being concerned for someone regarding whether they change or not. It is a whole other matter to be responsible for people, including your children. Now, I've illustrated these two perspectives with my stories of the beggar and Biff. I was concerned for the beggar on the street, but I did not sense a responsibility to change him. Thus, when he walked away because he did not want to do it the way that I suggested, it wasn't that big of a deal to me. I felt like I had done exactly what I was supposed to do, but I was not responsible and thus he walked away, and in that sense, it was okay. I wanted him to change. I even thought about how I could serve him before he popped the question. But I did not feel like it was my job to make him change. I did not act disinterested by showing uh, any concern, and I did not cross the line as though his change was my responsibility. I offered him some food and I hope to continue the conversation by eventually introducing him to Christ, but he wanted money only. But then there was Biff. Biff was different. I felt a sense of responsibility for Biff. I crossed the line from being concerned about the beggar to thinking it was my responsibility to change Biff. I treated him much different from the beggar in the street or the way Christ interacted with the rich young ruler. I forgot what my role was with Biff. It's simple. My part for all people at all times is to be concerned for them. And that's my role. But I am not to be responsible for anyone because I cannot make people change. Righteousness is not something that you can force on anyone. If I had the power, the ability to force righteousness on people, I would do that. But that is outside the realm of my responsibility. A person's change, their desire to walk in righteousness, is a personal choice between them and God. Now, this worldview has been my story regarding how I changed over the years. No one could make me turn to God except God. People could come into my life and they could water. They could plant but they could not give me growth. Change is God's job. Now, I am referring to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6. Paul wrote these words, 
What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Then he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I am forever grateful for the people who have loved me enough to speak into my life. I love all those water boys. I love all those seed throwers who served me on behalf of Jesus. But I do not hold any of them responsible for my transformation. Sometimes I can forget this very fundamental truth about the gospel when I am the water boy or when I am the seed planter. Sometimes I can cross the line from being God's water boy and seed thrower to trying to make a person change, to make them grow, or what the Bible calls repentance. When I forget my role in God's garden, it is as though I believe I am responsible for their change. It's my job. And there is a world of difference between being concerned for someone and being responsible for them. If I cross that line, it won't be long before I am sinning against them. Now that begs the question, and you may ask, how do you know when you cross the line from being concerned for those you help versus feeling responsible for them changing? That is the million-dollar question, and honestly, it is pretty easy to answer. When I began to overcare for a person, certain things began to happen in my soul. Initially, these things are not discernible to the human eye. You would not know it. But if I don't take care of these things that began happening inside of me, they will soon manifest in behavioral sins that are clearly discernible. What I try to do is to keep an eye on my heart by sensing when I'm caring too much for the unchanging person. If these sins begin to rear up, I know I have crossed the line from being appropriately concerned for someone to caring too much for them. I want to share with you a non-exhaustive list of heart attitudes and behaviors that I commit when I've crossed the line. I have done all of these things, and sadly, I will do these things in the future as well because I am not entirely sanctified, and the temptation to overcare, especially for those who are closest to me, is an easy temptation to fall into. Now, if any of these things happen to you, may I suggest that you're caring too much? that you have forgotten your role in the change process, here's my list. When I am overcaring, a non-exhaustive list, in those situations, I'm tempted to become angry when a person doesn't change. Have you ever done that? I'm tempted to become critical when I think about them. I'm tempted to gossip about them to others. I'm tempted to be cynical and lose faith in God that they will ever change. Cynicism, it sounds like suspicion. No, they're not going to ever change. You begin to lose faith that they will ever turn to the Lord. A fifth one is I'm tempted to become impatient when I am with them. I'm tempted to exhibit more sadness than joy when I think about them. I'm tempted to judge them uncharitably because they won't change. 
And then finally, I'm tempted to worry or become anxious as though their lack of change is because of me. And I've seen many parents do this last one here. They will write in on our forum and say, my son is 20-something years old. He's not following God. He's rebelling against God. And and I just feel like if I had done this, this, and this, it would have made all the difference. That is a person with a mini-Messiah complex because change is not about them, but they feel like that they should have. And if they had done these certain things, it would have made all the difference in the world. And when I sense these sinful temptations in my soul, I know that my trust is slipping from the Messiah of the universe to my abilities, my agendas, my preferences for this particular individual. Just like the parent who's now rehearsing the past and thinking, if only I had done this, then my son or my daughter would not be like that That is what I call the mini-Messiah complex. When you cross the line of overcaring to overcaring, you have become the mini-Messiah. In those moments, I have become a functional atheist, a man who believes the change process rests more on me and my opinion of how things should be than whatever God may be thinking or doing in the unchanging person's life. This posture... This attitude is hardcore pride that needs my immediate repentance. I have to reposition myself within the framework of God's mysterious purposes for that individual's life. If I do repent of my pride, if I do realize that my primary purpose is to water and to plant, while trusting God to bring the growth— My human ability to serve my friend will no longer impede what God is doing in his life. But when I begin to feel more responsible than God wants me to, I will typically sin against the person. According to the items that I listed here in my non-exhaustive list, becoming angry, becoming critical, gossiping about them, cynicism, impatience, more sadness than joy, uncharitably judging them, becoming anxious with them. And when I do that, those sins disrupt the helping process. My faith for change and the timing for change must be entirely in God's will, especially when I'm helping a seemingly unchanging person. For me, a tipping point is usually a person with whom I have spent more time with rather than the person I meet briefly like the beggar. I mentioned this earlier. When you meet that person in a brief moment, you're basically two ships just passing quickly. You can be Christ-like to them and you can offer them biblical solutions. And if they reject them, you can go on your way and your mind becomes cluttered with other things in your day, and you really don't sweat it because you've done what you're supposed to do. But it is those that you spend more time with. It's no longer a brief encounter. It's the reason that I crossed the line with Biff. He was a long-term investment. This is why it happens so often within families, because you spend most of your time with it with your immediate family. 
typically people will sin against a person they have spent a long time praying for, pulling for, and generally helping and hoping that they will change. That is normal. The more time you put into somebody's life, the more you expect them to change. A lot of parents are this way with their children. Many parents struggle this way. And and sometimes, I mean, their children don't change as quickly, promptly. Uh, They don't meet the expectations, and they're tempted to cross the line from being concerned and helping to taking it personally and getting in the way or becoming a distraction regarding what God might be doing in the child's life. This also happens with spouses. We have many spouses, husbands and wives, who write in and they have strong desires for their spouses to change. Those are good desires, but in many, if not all of those cases, that these spouses have tried so long and, tro- and so hard, and they've done so many things that they do cross that line, and they then become culpable. They become part of the problem. They complicate the situation. It's one of the toughest lessons for a spouse or a parent or any caring person to learn. May I ask, can you discern and obey your role in the change process, especially with that person that you love so much and you want to see them change? One of the triggers that will let you know if you've crossed the line is when you begin to sin. Are you able to discern the sinning that's going on in your soul? Can you feel your soul transforming in a negative way when you're thinking about a person that you want to change? If you're sinning against the person, you are not helping them. You can't do both. You're either serving God or you're serving your own sinful agendas. And if you are sinning against the person, you are in the way. If you're more anxious, more worried, fearful, fretful, impatient, frustrated, or any other sin, you are out of line and you're in the way. You must repent and trust God. This ability is one of the most remarkable things about Jesus, and it's why I inserted that illustration of the rich young ruler from Luke 18. Christ was cool in all context. He shared his word and went on his way. He didn't oversweat it. He didn't undercare, and he never overcared. He was not uncaring, and he would not force his righteousness on anyone. How about you? Is there someone in your life who tempts you to overcare for them? How do you know? It might be good for you to ask a friend, ask them if they, what, what have they discerned about you with the unchanging person in your life? Ask them to be honest with you. How do you talk about them? What do your words about the unchanging person reveal about your heart? How do you need to respond to this podcast? You can go on the website and you can read the entire article, The Problem with Caring Too Much or Over-Caring. There's a short video, about 10 minutes, that's also embedded in this article, and it talks about this idea of trusting God and obeying God, some things you have to entrust 
to the Lord. There are human responsibility items that you want to take care of, but you want to be able to discern what is my role, the things that I need to take care of, and what are the things that I need to entrust in the Lord. This video walks through this. Now, perhaps you have a situation that you want to chat about. If you do, I would love for you to get on our website. Come and talk to me. We are not just a resource-dispensing ministry that is disconnected from our constituency. We dispense resources all the time. Every week, year after year after year, we're pushing more and more resources out in cyberspace for you to be able to peruse, enjoy, and apply. But we do more than that. We will interact with you. And so you can listen to our podcast, you can read our article, you can watch our video, and then you can come back and say, I have some questions based on this that are specific to my unique situation. Will you help me? It would be our joy and our privilege to do that. You can get on our forums. If you're not a supporting member, that's fine. There's no charge and there, there's no catch. You just get your username and password and get on our free community forum. Make sure that you are logged in. If you are a supporting member, well, go to the uh, supporting member forums and ask your question. You, too, have to be logged in, but you can ask your questions directly to us, and we'll be glad to serve you. I also have another link here. One of my books is published on Amazon. It's called Change Me. The Ultimate Life Change Handbook is about this repentance process. I would encourage you to get it because it can really help you and it will help you to help others. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.